Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Who are you? Oh, I'm Fizza Dasani. I don't have an O in front of my name. I don't know why I said that, but it made me sound like I have an O apostrophe in front of my name. That, so uh, my name's Fizza Dasani. I'm wearing an eye patch right now. I'm sure people listening at home can tell. I got lots <laughs> of I got lots of pirate energy yeah. in, in this recording today. I'm fine. I just woke up with an irritated eye. How's it going, Fizza? I'm good. Um, I don't have an eye patch on today, but you never know. You know, life is a surprise party. It sure is. Case in point, I woke up today and needed an eye patch. <laughs> so here we are. We're talking about Jonestown again, as we have been for the past three weeks, but kind of tangentially this week, just like last week. Last week, we did a bonus episode. We talked about a horrifying wing of the Japanese military called Unit 731. They were notorious for two things. One, really grotesque medical experiments conducted on living human subjects. And two, the way the U.S. protected them and integrated their research into our own military work. Meanwhile, Russia, whatever of that group they caught, they tried all of them as the war criminals that they were. However. Yeah, but, but we didn't. We decided not to because we didn't want to miss out on whatever groundbreaking medical discoveries they might have made while they were hacking people's arm off and sewing it to the other side of their body and, and whatnot. Also, they were infecting prisoners of war with syphilis and then cutting their bodies open to see what's going on in there. Were they were these POWs still alive during this? Yes. Surgery? Yes. And there was no anesthetic used they would cruel oh it's it's beyond cruel we're talking about a similar thing this week unfortunately we're not going through as many of the horrifying details as we did last week actually none of the horrifying details so if you're uh, not a subscriber and you want to be seriously grossed out (laughs) listen to last week's bonus episode about unit 731 yeah Syphilis was a big thing with them. They they loved studying syphilis. They would make people have sex to infect each other with syphilis. That's how they gave them syphilis? Yes. So there it was like, you know, sexual assault as well. Well, it was a concentration It was a concentration camp basically. Like so this many was human right violations. Yeah, this was during World War II. So it was the same thing the Nazis were getting up to. Basically, but with Unit 731, it was more Russian and American POWs and Chinese people. Of course, they were very brutal to China during World War II. Yeah, they would cut people open after they were infected with syphilis just to see what what the disease does to the inside of the body. It would usually end in that person dying because you can't hardly be cut open with no anesthesia without any side effects. Yeah, well, you know, the U.S., I think, has a habit of overlooking 
the ethical questions and issues to, you know, like the, the science you didn't want to lose that. Yeah. That's, that's what we did data. with, yeah, we did with unit seven, three, one, we decided, you know, they, they did all this research. We're not just going to let that research go to waste. So instead of trying them as war criminals, we brought them to the United States so they could help us develop biological weapons and things of the sort. And it seems like it might not be that related to Jonestown, but it is because it goes a long way toward explaining what America's mindset was like for at least a couple decades after World War II. It's wild how history has written it as if the global community was completely horrified by the things that Germany and Japan were getting up to during World War II. But the U.S. was not. You know, that was uh, that's that's the mask they had to wear to, you know, to not get people riled up. We had to pretend we were angry. And I'm sure there I'm not saying everyone in the United States was uh, not unhappy with World War II, but. It's pretty clear in the way we acted after World War II that we didn't so much mind the atrocities that happened during that conflict. And and to clarify, we, we were speaking of our government. Right. Not we as in me and Fizza. <laughs> we the people. <laughs> <laughs> Americans in general. Yeah, this is actually where the Was Jonestown a CIA Medical Experiment book begins is with another version of unit 731 or another version of what we did with unit 731 which is operation paperclip where we did the exact same thing the people that were conducting insane human experiments and biological weapons testing those were all scientists and researchers we decided we wanted and with operation paperclip instead of japanese military it was all nazis and it was way way more like 1600 That's a lot of Nazis to let into the country at once, especially if you're letting them all into the government at once. Yeah. Kind of alarming, but it's definitely a thing that happened. And they definitely couldn't, you know, that wasn't the story that the PR put out. No, they they made it seem like there were no Nazis, but we'll get to it. They're all Nazis. Like, of course they were. Like, they're bringing over researchers from Germany during World War II. Like, yeah, there's going to be some intellectuals who disagree with the Nazis, but it's impossible to bring 1600 people over and not have them end up being Nazis. Yeah. You're There's some, there's going to be it, statistically, there's going to be some at least sympathizers, right? At the very least sympathizers. And we end up bringing over way worse than sympathizers. Like we, yeah. we bring over actual war criminals and the way it happens as the story goes, at least is In early 1943, Germany was really confident that they were going to lose World War II. So to shore up their defenses, they decided to bring 4,000 scientists, engineers, and technicians back from war so they could apply their expertise to military projects. So now Hitler loves intellectuals. When Nazi Germany was first getting off the ground, that's one of the first things they did was round up intellectuals and people who would be smart enough to make a valid argument in public about why you shouldn't exterminate six million Jews from German society. So dangerous. Very. Now that they're of use to him, you know, when they're a liability to his agenda, of course, you know, round them up. But yeah, whatever is convenient for his, I mean, he just, you know, he's that type of dude. 
And even if you weren't a Nazi sympathizer, if you're one of these 4,000 researchers and scientists, you were probably happy with this development because what he had done up to this point was make a lot of these people just go fight on the front lines in the war, like usual cannon fodder soldiers. So they were probably happy to come back at least. And after the Nazis round these scientists up, they start screening them to decide who is ideologically aligned with them and politically aligned and who's going to be, who's not going to present a problem. So that right there tells you that the people we brought over were all Nazis because that's the group we end up pulling from. They were screened by Nazis to be searching for Nazis. Yeah. Nazis looking for smart Nazis. And that's the pool that we pulled from. Right. What they end up doing is they they screen each one to make sure they're they're Nazi enough. And then those names were added to what became known as the Osenberg list, which was named after the Nazi scum responsible for assembling it. <laughs> I was just going to say how wild it is that like the pieces of this list ended up in a toilet at Bonn University in Germany in 1945, where a lab technician finds it and forwards it on to British and American intelligence. Like that's some movie type of stuff. What was this list written on? that pieces of it were found in a toilet and they were still able to recover it. I mean, I guess if it's just floating on the surface, but. Well, Well, it's like also how could they, you know, it's crazy that they recognized it as an important document. Was it inside the toilet? Pieces of it were found stuffed in a toilet, which I don't know. Oh my God. How do you even stuff something in a toilet? Like, were they trying to get caught? Maybe. How? Okay. Were they trying to get rid of this list? So they, they threw it in the toilet because they were trying to hide this list. Is that what was which well going on? It seems like that, but that just leads me to another question, which is what was this list written on? Because <laughs> if it's paper and you want to get rid of it, the easy answer is you set it on fire. Fire, yes. So this kind of implies that it was disposed of hastily or mm, under yeah. duress of some sort. Yeah, because the backstory there, because this was 1945 when it's discovered. So the war is really turning against the Nazis by this point. And it was found Bonn University is in Germany. So maybe maybe the allies were closing in on Bonn University at the time. Who knows? But they found this list in the toilet and the person who finds it forwards it to British and American intelligence. And we decided that we wanted to find these scientists and interrogate them. That's it. That's, That's it. it, right? That's yeah. it. <laughs> we, did the, we did the same thing with serial killers in the 70s. Instead of just throwing them in jail, put them in a room and talk to them and find out why serial killers become a thing. And it was very, very productive. Meanwhile, the, the parallel there would be imagine if... In the 70s, when we went and interviewed serial killers, we came out of it the other end thinking we should be serial killers. Like we should all that's the that's what that should be our thing going forward is we should be serial killers because that's what happens with these interviews is at first they were just going to interview people when that was the plan. It was called Operation Overcast, except something happens during those interviews where the focus shifts from 
oh, we just want to interrogate these dudes and see what they know. The focus shifts to, oh, we need to round them up and get them to the United States so they can help us. And it was because they didn't want them to fall into the hands of Russia, for one thing. But also, we just, whatever they told us in those interviews, we were like, sounds like something we can use. Yeah, so these U.S. officials found some value in these scientists, enough to overlook their political affiliation. Not just their political affiliation, but the things they had done. I guess by this point... Well, when your political affiliation is the Nazi party, then, you know, you just assume that (laughs) horrors come with that. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to make the excuse that maybe they didn't know quite how bad the atrocities were by that point, because this was the end of the war. Like, we knew. As soon as we flung those concentration camp doors open, we knew how bad things were in Nazi Germany. And just in Nazi-occupied territory in general, not to diminish the millions of other people who were killed by Nazis, which is actually a thing we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. But after they decided that that was the mission, that we needed to round up some of these Nazi scientists, then the project became Operation Paperclip. Because when we identified one we wanted to bring over to the United States, we would attach a paperclip to their file. Subtle. Yeah, so simple. <laughs> such a such an easy naming mechanism. <laughs> and in total, we end up bringing 1,600, not necessarily all Nazi scientists, but mostly Nazi scientists. And, and their family members. And 3,700 family members. And not just Nazi scientists, but like Nazi intelligence, like SS, people like that, like the Hitler's secret police. So pretty much all the bad stuff about Germany, except for concentration camps, and even then, as this Jonestown thing goes on, it's questionable as to whether we maybe set up some some concentration camps too at one point. But everything Nazi Germany was doing, we were like, we want to do that. That sounds good to us, which is crazy. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's it's what was prioritized by the government and the um, information was valued over the, you know, ethics. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's, you know, the re- I mean, the research was done in a horrifying way. But then I guess, you know, they just, you know, wanted to just all disappear. Might there, as well, might well, as well take the information. Well, here's the thing. It saved us from having to cut off arms and so on to different parts of the body. And uh, one of the other, they would attach the esophagus directly to the intestines. They would remove people's stomachs. And it was pretty horrifying. While they were alive. (laughs) While they were alive. Although I don't know how long you're going to survive that. But I mean, hopefully not too long because that sounds fucking awful. it, It was very awful. And Nazis were doing the same kind of stuff we know that and these were the scientists and these were the ideas that we wanted to look into for our own and it it did keep us from having to do the really gruesome human experiments but so what like no one should be doing those human experiments but also the mind control stuff there was a lot of that that we were interested in and so obviously we try to keep this mostly a secret from the public when it happens And that secret lasted for eh, about a year. And then the media catches on 
that we've brought all these scientists over and they start interviewing them in the media. Apparently we didn't put any restrictions on these Nazi fucks when they came over here. We weren't like, don't talk to anybody. You stay in this room, you come out, you do science, you go back in that room. You don't fucking say a word to anybody. None of that. We just let them run around society happy and free. And so they end up doing these interviews and the word is out that we brought all these scientists over. So now the American government goes into damage control mode and they're like, yeah, but we didn't bring any actual Nazis. When Harry Truman approved Operation Paperclip, one of the stipulations was that we don't bring any Nazis over. And one, since when has Harry Truman ever done anything wrong? Uh, And two, we obviously ignored that. Like there were some scientists we just needed and kids at home. Harry Truman is the only president to have ever launched a nuclear weapon. So he did that there. I mean, again, their priorities were very clear, whether they were transparent about them or not, which they were not. I mean, they they valued the information over how, you know, what was done to get it. Yeah. And. And I mean, in a way, yeah, I guess, you know, it probably kept the monsters here from having to go and or having being compelled to go and doing that sort of horrific type of research. But yeah, and it it kept them from doing it on behalf of our enemy, which almost as soon as the war was over, I think even before the war was over, became Russia. And so it kept Russia from benefiting from all that, but also it seems like Russia didn't want to benefit from all of that, which really brings into question who were the actual good guys in World War II. Like, was it really the United States? Because I don't think, I mean, I'm not alone in this assessment, but had Pearl Harbor not happened, I don't think the United States would have entered World War II. We were just going to let Hitler do what he wanted to do. That's not our part of the world. We sure were. Our, our government surely was until it got personal, until we took it personally and we're like, OK, now it's, you know, now you're fucking with me. Yeah, but, it was once Japan attacked us. And like then it's 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 street rules. Like you can't just get attacked on American soil and not respond. So, of course, then we're going to get into World War Two and let Russia know that we got nuclear weapons we can drop on them if they act up. I still think that. That's one of the biggest scandals of World War II is did we need to drop that nuclear weapon? I don't think we did. And, no, I don't think so either. But I don't think so. There's better conflict resolution than dropping nuclear weapons, in my opinion. Well, not just that. From a strategic standpoint, we didn't really need to. There was going to Russia was invading Japan or was about to invade Japan. And Japan wasn't going to win that. It was going to be a long, drawn out conflict. But Japan wasn't going to win. And we had been firebombing all of their cities up to that point. So this was just, to them, a different version of that. It was bigger and more spectacular. and Overkill. Yeah, it obviously killed more people, but they were like, okay, we're down two more cities. That's that's not anything we can't recover from. Also, I think there was an element of wanting to test out their new quote-unquote toy. Oh, yeah. You're not going to build a nuclear weapon and not use it. And had they not done that? Would aliens have visited Earth? Maybe not. <laughs> they're like these fucks. Like they're getting some technology and they don't have the level of consciousness or awareness to handle this. 
I mean, yeah, you're you're it, when the you make a nuclear bomb, and then you shortly after drop it. Yeah, despite the <laughs> it might set the atmosphere on fire concern, you still drop it. That was one of the concerns science scientists had before that thing was detonated. Was and who, might who set the sky on killed? fire. Who was mostly killed? Civilians, of course. How is that okay? I mean, we do that now with sanctions. Like, we'll slap sanctions on a country and act like it's the, you know, more peaceful option. You know, otherwise we're going to go to war and kill people. But in war, there's at least some rules in place about how it can impact civilians before it becomes just straight up war crimes. Sanctions directly impact the poorest people in those countries. Because they make it hard for any kind of, especially the way we do sanctions, the way we do them, if any country works with that country, we consider that a violation. So not only will we stop sending aid to these countries, every other country that wants to align with us will also stop helping them. And anyone who doesn't want to fall into our bad graces will not work with that country. And it ends up just killing poor people. And we act like it's the the more peaceful way to go about it when I think most poor people would much rather the United States bomb a weapons-making facility on the outskirts of town than starve the entire population. But we're the United States. We like to starve people. So one of the best books you can read on this topic, which is Operation Paperclip, is Annie Jacobson's book, Operation Paperclip, the secret intelligence program that brought Nazi scientists to America. And heads up, it is 627 pages long. It's very, very lengthy. But if you're looking for something a little shorter, then we'll link you to a YouTube video where she gives a presentation about this particular part of Operation Paperclip, which is the notion that we didn't bring actual Nazis over. We just brought regular dudes from Germany who who weren't Nazis. In the video, she runs through a few examples of people we brought over. And what's crazy is not only do we integrate these scientists into American life, in a lot of cases, we name awards after them that end up, in some cases, are still being given out to this day. There's one point in this video where she ends up calling this institution that it's an American college, I think, that had been giving out this award every year. And she was like, do you not feel weird about giving out an award named after a former Nazi? And their response was, you know, no one's ever asked us that. How? Like, how the fuck? That would be my first question. Well, not you don't want to know the answer. I guess, yeah. But like, how hard is it to change the name of an award? I don't know. So some of the people she mentions in this video as having been brought over by the United States... Siegfried Kennemeyer, that's how she pronounces his name. I don't know if it's Niemeyer. He was a subordinate of Hermann Goering, who was a very, very bad person, who was responsible for a lot of the treachery the Third Reich pulled off. He was one of the most powerful people in the Third Reich. (laughs) Goering liked him a lot, called him my boy. My boy! Except he probably said it in German, although I hope not. I hope he said it like Larry the Cable Guy or some shit. (laughs) So basically not good. Goring is not on the right side of history, uh, meaning he's a Nazi. And this guy was one of his 
best Nazi friends. And we brought him over and made him a U.S. government employee, basically. Fun fact, at one point, this guy received the highest award a civilian can get from the Defense Department, which, good for him, I guess? Yeah, I mean, when the... I guess if the valid if the Nazis are validating you, that's what you're <laughs> yeah. sourcing your validation from the Nazi party. Well, no, he got that from the United States. Oh, oh, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, see, that's so interesting. It's yeah, it's like we're celebrating a lot of these people and just ignoring the inconvenient facts well, of where they they've come from. A lot of that has to do with. Another inconvenient fact, which is that these Nazi scientists end up developing a lot of really important technology for the United States. The spacesuit was made by one of these dudes. The rocket that eventually gets us to the moon is yeah. made by one of these dudes. So I don't know. Like we use their technology. I mean, their technology helped us advance in in certain ways and. But yeah, I mean, again, it's like just because there's good information or useful information here doesn't mean it was obtained in an ethical way. Right. And the notion that none of these dudes were Nazis. Two of the people they brought over, Dr. Kurt Blom and Dr. Walter Schreiber, were respectively the Deputy Surgeon General <laughs> of the Third Reich and the Surgeon General of the Third Reich. So, of course, those are Nazis. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you can have some wishful thinking or denial or, you know, whatever. But if you, you know, take a good, long, hard look at the facts, you know, it's there. But, I mean, again, you know, it's inconvenient to acknowledge that, especially when the information um, was seen as so valuable, the human experiments, um, unethical, of course, but, you know, they collected a lot of data um, from these. So um, the U.S. wanted these things. Those two especially become really important later on. And uh, we'll we'll get to that. But there's also Werner von Braun, who is probably the most famous because he's the one who ran the V2 rocket program. And he's the one who brought that technology to us. And we eventually used that technology to go to the moon before anyone else. Allegedly. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he's he is a Nazi or was a Nazi and yeah, also the chief architect of the rocket program that got us to the moon. So, you know, those tank things exist together. And he also uh, the V2 rocket program was mostly slave labor. They made slaves build these V2 rockets inside mines in case something blows up. No one they don't want to kill any Nazis. And it was all slave labor he ran you know the the program he only ran the science part but still like even if you're running the science part you know how the assembly part is working yeah it's like you you weren't ignorant of that there's no way that a person in your position overseeing this project would not know a detail like that he also received the national medal of science in 1975 from, from the u.s from the united states yeah Otto Ambrose is another that we brought over. Co-invented sarin gas. The A in sarin stands for Ambrose. Hitler loved Otto Ambrose because he figured out how to make synthetic rubber when the Reich was running out of rubber. 
Um, this man, Otto, was also in charge of a slave labor camp where they made that synthetic rubber where people were often worked to death. And he became part of Operation Paperclip, even though he was tried and convicted of war crimes. So again, more evidence that the U.S. was hiring individuals who were active Nazis. Also, Dr. Theodore Benzinger, when he died, his obituary in the New York Times mentioned that he invented the ear thermometer. It did not mention that he would host viewings of Himmler's medical experiment murder videos among Nazis. So uh, pretty gross. He would gross. host those as well. Yeah, those- he, would, he would host them when they would show those. When, people, when Nazis would gather around to watch people being murdered by way of medical experiment, this is the guy who would host it. Must have had a lot of horror movie personality. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're torturing people and you're, it's... There must be a level of detachment where you don't see those subjects as human because, you know, I think the average person would see would have an issue with with that, even in the name of science. You would hope you would. So that is definitely uh, hope telling one other Nazi that Annie Jacobson brings up in this video and in the book is a guy named Charles Laux. And the only reason I'm mentioning him is I was really worried for a second that I went to a grade school that was named after a Nazi because I did very briefly go to a grade school named Laux. Well, if it makes you feel better, I was born and raised in Lee County in Florida. Um, Lee as in General E. Lee of the Confederacy. Oh, that's bad times. Well, I found out Charles Laux, not the person that my school was named after, It was, the school was built in 1904, for one thing. Uh, It was named after a riverboat captain. That's pretty Mm. fucking cool. I mean, I'm sure he was super duper racist, like 1904. (laughs) I mean, weren't all the white people? Yeah. Or most, at least. Yeah, that's the thing. It was 1904. Chances are. (laughs) Of course he was racist. So all these people are Nazis. All these people that we brought over, maybe not all 1,600, but a good deal of them are Nazis, even though to this day, There are people who will try to debunk this idea by saying, well, no, Truman stipulated that we not bring over any actual Nazis. And it's like, well, yeah, so what about that? Okay, he said something. And Truman said a thing. Of course, he's not going to say, bring me a lot of Nazis, please. I mean, everyone's word is not bond. Like, you know, let's be let's let's be realistic here. One of the things that's really interesting about this group of scientists that they bring over is a place called Camp King, which was a Cold War black site in Europe where we worked on, we meaning the United States, me and Fizza both. (laughs) Specifically. Right. Worked on enhanced interrogation techniques on Soviet prisoners. And the reason that's important is one, the doctors who ran it. We've already mentioned Dr. Walter Schreiber and Dr. Kurt Blome, who were the Surgeon General and Deputy Surgeon General of the Third Reich. And what's really interesting is that is the program that goes on to become MKUltra, which. <laughs> so MKUltra was basically a Nazi idea. Not only is a Nazi idea, but it's a continuation of Nazi experiments. So we didn't just want this information on human experiments. 
We wanted to do some ourselves. We wanted to keep that research going. It's a direct line from the Nazis to MKUltra. And that shouldn't surprise anyone because that's when we start doing a bunch of crazy human experiments. You know you're doing something shady if you're hiding it from the public. We'll never know how big MKUltra was because the director of the CIA in 1973 ordered all of the files about it to be destroyed. But there was one box of files that got put in the wrong place. And someone eventually found that box of files and was like, what the fuck is this? Well, at least it wasn't in a toilet. Yeah, exactly. What if, it, what, what if that's how they found it? Someone just dumped 20,000 files in a toilet, tried to flush it. I was under severe duress. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea. Where's the Drano? A lot of that was written in ink. <laughs> Figured it would wash away. So yeah, MK Ultra's a Nazi idea. And that's important as it relates to Jonestown because... The theory with Jonestown isn't just that it was a CIA medical experiment. It's that it was a CIA medical experiment with some sort of genocide angle to it. Because one thing we know... As a potential ultimate goal. Right. Which is dark. That's dark. And what do we know about the inhabitants of Jonestown? Mostly black people. Predominantly. I didn't mean (laughs) that wasn't the reference I was making. I mean, uh, this is um, like, yeah, just awful that that they're. Yeah, it's the targeting of marginalized groups that have less resources and can go under the radar if, you know, these horrible things are happening. So, yeah, well, another another uh, wonderful stain in our history. It's very dark. And this book was CI- was Jonestown a CIA medical experiment? Like I said, it kind of starts with Operation Paperclip, which we just went through. And right away, it makes an interesting argument, which is that the Nazis weren't strictly anti-Semitic. Or they weren't, you know, they, they weren't anti-Semitic. It was worse than that. They considered any group that didn't fit their ideal of a white Aryan future they considered those people subhuman and they killed those people. It was Jews in Germany, but they killed Slavs. They killed intellectuals. They killed drug addicts. They killed criminals. They killed communists. They killed homosexuals. Had they started out in Africa, they would have killed black people instead of Jews. That's just what the Nazis did. They didn't discriminate. They hated everybody. Right. That wasn't, you know, their type. And what this book argues is that both sides kind of won world war ii the allies won the military war obviously but the nazis won a social and political war over the united states in that their philosophy was embraced by lots of german americans who at the time this book was written and still today are the largest ethnic group in the united states i didn't know that i didn't know that either but i guess it's easier to assimilate into society as a white person. There's a 2015 article where the economist referred to German Americans as the silent minority. The subheading of that article reads America's largest ethnic group has assimilated so well that people barely notice it. And yeah, it's because they're white people. So the Jonestown story, according to author Michael Myers, which come on with that name for one thing. (laughs) 
but also he may or may not even be a real person. I've done some legwork trying to track this guy down and I don't think he exists, but you think it's a pseudonym. I think it's a pseudonym. Yeah. The Jonestown story, according to Michael Myers, who we'll talk about in a later episode, starts with the SS, which was Hitler's secret police. They were formed in 1926. There were 280 charter members whose job was to protect Adolf Hitler. Under the leadership of Heinrich Himmler, it grew to 30,000 members by 1934. These were the elites of the master race. This was the the strongest and uh, handsomest Nazis Hitler could find. That's who he made his secret police. And these are the ones who managed the concentration camps. Right. They were also tasked with implementing Himmler's plan to purify the Aryan race. In the first 125 years of his proposed thousand-year Reich, which I find that part alarming, too, because right from the outset, the Nazis were like, this is going to take a long time. What kind of ego do you have that you want, like, the generations way after you to look like you? Like, what kind of fucking narcissistic bullshit is that? Yeah, and who has the confidence to launch a 125-year plan? <laughs> like, And be around for it? Yeah, Joe Biden just announced, I think it was his immigration reform, and he was like, by 2025? And I'm like, you're that sure you're still going to be in office in 2025? Don't jinx it. Don't jinx it like that. As a Cubs fan, I know. You don't celebrate that championship until the game is over. So, until you know. Yeah, push it back to 2023. Maybe that'll get you reelected. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, they, they managed the, the concentration camps. They also studied all of the cults and religious sects because Hitler was way into that. Anything he could bring in from weird religious stuff or occult stuff, he did. That's how they found the swastika. Well, they, yeah, they reappropriated um, a Hindu symbol to serve their own purposes that's annoying you know white people reappropriating other people's cultures especially if you're a nazi doing that like wow now like you've completely tainted you know uh, you know i'm not i wasn't raised hindu so i don't know the full significance of it but i i guarantee you the original intention was not white power no definitely not And it's always kind of a bummer when you see a group try to bring it back. And it's like, that's just never going to happen. Like, at least not in the United States or Germany. Like, people are always going to associate that with Nazis, which, yeah, it's a bummer. But I mean, yeah, in our, probably in our lifetime, at least. I mean, it's just weird because it was just like, you know, this is one of the world's oldest religions. (laughs) And you just sort of take it. And it's just like, I remember I was in India and a young guy um i think he was a family friend or something must have been just early in high school was talking about wanting to get a swastika tattoo and you know as an older person who lives in america i was like don't do that that's not going to be a good look you know no. in our era it's just you know it's 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 now we see it as a nazi symbol so whatever you think you're portraying it's like it's just going to get you in trouble You're going to have a lot of questions to answer. Yeah, exactly. When people see that. So one of the things that was interesting to me, there's a quote from this book, and it relates to the SS going out and finding occult shit 
and working on or researching mind control and telepathy. Like these are all things the Nazis were very interested in. And there's a quote in this book that says, Himmler viewed Christ's power to cure the sick as no more than the ability to impart his extremely strong aura to upgrade the low energy levels of the afflicted. And what's interesting about that is that's basically the secret. That's the science of getting rich. That's all of those books. Me and you did an episode of the Unpopular Opinion podcast where we talked about the Mary Trump book and the science of getting rich, which were both really important books to the Trump family. And we did an episode of this podcast about the Mary Trump book. Yeah. I mean, it was the exact same thing, the exact thing the Trump family um, and other powerful people throughout history have been obsessed with. Um, not to say also that there's, you know, I think there there's, of course, a validity to visualization. And um, but yeah, again, it's like if the, you know, some people are going to not manage their power in the most benevolent way, as we've learned. Yeah. And I feel like there has to be something to the law of attraction, the power of positive thinking, whatever you want to call it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be around as long as it's been around. That's a theory that started in the early 1900s, maybe earlier than that. But the first really well-known book about it comes out in like 1910, I think. And there are people who've been swearing by it ever since. And it kind of reminds me of MK Ultra, where you get someone who's just in general really cynical about conspiracy theories and the idea that the government does bad sometimes and they'll tell you yeah mk ultra lasted 30 years but we didn't find anything like mk ultra was real but we didn't find anything and it's like you think we would pump that much money and that much time and that many decades into it if we weren't getting anything from it like if nothing else we're getting some bitching interrogation techniques and some torture techniques, I'm sure. We're not, we're not leaving empty-handed. No, definitely not. And so the way this all ties in to the CIA is that the CIA was, in large part, the idea of, again, a former Nazi. This, this time, a guy named Reinhard Gellin. And at the time it was founded, it was staffed with former OSS and FBI agents, which are two American intelligence and law enforcement agencies, and then also SS and SD agents, which are Nazis. Those are the most hardcore Nazis. And the way they put it in the book is that this basically becomes the identity of the CIA. It's just kind of built by Nazis. Yeah. And so that's pretty alarming. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's you're gonna. It it starts with a certain culture, then, right? Yeah, like it's it's starting with the idea that well, we know how brutal the Nazi secret police were over in Nazi Germany. How do we how do we harness that for ourselves and maybe take it all around the world because that's the CIA operates everywhere. And Gellin eventually became the head of the CIA's spy ring in Europe. Among other things, he came up with the idea for Radio Free Europe, which is a U.S. propaganda channel that exists to this day. As part of his work in Europe, he formed more than 60 spy schools that graduated 7,000 students. A Nazi. A Nazi set up a school that graduated 7,000 spies. So what was the... 
the point of the U.S. prosecuting Nazis? For, was it strictly for optics? Yeah, I think it was mostly for show. And I think eventually, uh, like once you wear out your usefulness, we're the United States. We brought over a bunch of Nazis that we knew were performing gruesome medical experiments. You think we're going to care if at the age of 95 they get deported back to Germany? Fuck no. Like, oh, you got sold out by the U.S. government. Welcome to living under the U.S. government, you Nazi scumbags, which that actually just happened. A 95-year-old dude got deported to Germany. I fucking love it. I hope the plane ride was shitty. I hope he threw up on the way over. I hope he caught the Rona. I hope it doesn't kill him, but it's very brutal. And I hope he has a bad time in Germany. Fucking Nazi asshole. It's 95. Yeah. Still around. Anyway. Yeah, there's a quote from the book. So many former SS and SD agents were hired by the CIA that they formed the basic personality of the agency. That establishes the culture of this agency. And from, you know, I mean, it's a similar issue that people say with the with the police departments here in the U.S. is they stemmed from, I guess, the agency that caught runaway slaves. So, you know, if you're if you're coming from that culture, then it's it's starting off at a really problematic place. Yeah. Just the fact that the the CIA, when it launched, was half Nazis. Like, is it still half Nazis? Makes you wonder. Is there a quota? They have a, is there affirmative action for Nazis? Do they have to hire a certain number of Nazis to, to keep operating? Like how much say did the Nazis have in the CIA? I really want to know. It's so interesting because Nazi is also such a dirty word in the U.S. You know, even exactly. now when, when um, people were calling some members of the Republican parties Nazis, especially after the attack, the recent attack on the Capitol, there was a lot of pushback like don't you know like that is like as if they were calling them a slur right which and it's like well there was literally a swastika flag yeah it's a slur if you're not a nazi yeah yeah but if you are then you're a nazi and people get to call you that even if you want to be called something different you don't you don't carry around the hitler swastika and expect to be called something other than a Nazi. So one of the the first connections they make between the CIA and Jonestown in this book, it's kind of a minor one, but it's the one that ends out this chapter about the Nazis. And when I say a minor, it's not minor at all, but one of the war criminals we brought over was a guy named Otto Albrecht Alfred von Bolschwing, who I am just going to call Otto from now on. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. He was hired as a consultant for a California tech firm called TCI. Also very alarming how much of this happens in liberal California. But anyway, hired as a consultant for a tech firm called TCI and eventually became the head of TCI. And at one point, a subsidiary of TCI called International Imaging Systems purchases a company called Intercontinental Technology specifically to help them facilitate the sale of arms in the Middle East. And the founder and president of Intercontinental Technology was notorious CIA arms dealer Frank Turple, who at one point admitted to supplying mercenaries and weapons during the early stages of Jonestown when the camp was being used as a CIA training center. And that's an important detail because 
one of the things you have to take into account when wondering if the CIA was involved in Jonestown is the political climate of Guyana at the time. Yeah, Guyana was one of the leading forces in the non-aligned movement, an organization of 120 developing world nations that are not aligned with or against any world power. And even worse, they were friendly with the Soviet Union. So there is no question at all that the CIA was definitely in Guyana at the time. They were actually the ones who broke the story. The CIA was the first agency or outfit to report that mass suicides had happened in Guyana, which is very convenient that the CIA was there first to control that narrative and get that story out. By their own account, they were there within minutes of the massacre. There's a guy named Richard Dwyer who eventually becomes really important to this story. And he was at the scene of that shooting. And he's the one who shows up in Jonestown like minutes after it happens. And that's it's super convenient because if this was a CIA thing, they're going to want to get in there and shut it down and come up with a cover story pretty quick. And one of the things we know about Jonestown, most of the medical documents went missing. We don't have any of the medical records showing what was happening there. We know there was lots and lots and lots of drugs, more drugs than you would be able to bring into a country without help. Yeah. Like high level help. And then we also earlier mentioned that the ultimate goal of Jonestown may have been uh, mass genocide. And my question is, is why is it re- is it related to maybe the mind cro- control experiments? Like, can we get a group of people to just off themselves? Like, I I'm very curious why. Yeah. One of the things we mentioned on the last episode was the body count. And the fact that at first it was like 400 and then it eventually became 918, I think, either 918 or 916. And the excuse that the American government gave was that, well, parents fell on top of their kids and we didn't see those kids underneath them at first. But that's a lot of kids. 400 people fell on top of 500 additional bodies and hid them all. What are the chances that, like, you're all going to land in the same position? And we know there are lots and lots of bodies that clearly are people who were shot as opposed to having been poisoned or also people whose injection marks are or have injection marks in their back, like Mm. by their shoulder blade. So the suggestion in the conspiracy theory CIA version of this story is that after They tried this suicide thing. The people who fled, there were a lot more people who fled than they let on, for one thing. And the reason the body count kept changing, according to this theory, is that we needed time to round those people up and kill them. Hmm. The people who escaped into the jungle had to be found and murdered so they could not get out and tell people what happened. But some people still got out, but then you don't know... At what level were they involved? Because a lot of the survivors are white people. And one thing that you learn about Jonestown, if you look into it more, is the white people were treated way, way different than the black people. Black people, when they landed in Guyana, were bound and gagged and basically taken off to live as slaves. 
but white people had a little more status and lived a little easier, which you would expect, especially if a lot of those white people are American intelligence or U.S. intelligence. Like, yeah. of course, they're not going to put themselves through that shit. So they were extracted into and from the danger into safety. And then, yeah, somehow a lot of them survived. Yeah. But there is one woman who we're going to talk about in a future episode who is a survivor of Jonestown, who is not white, who immediately after Jonestown was like, that was a CIA medical experiment to do some genocide stuff. So it's not really as crazy of a theory as it seems. And I mean, I don't think anything's outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. And it's not, it's not unique to this book. There's, we'll link to it also, but this book, like I said, is very hard to find there. You can find a PDF of it out there on the internet, but even then someone clearly made it with a copier, like a (laughs) a copy machine. 600 and something pages. Bless that person. Yeah. Which I mean, they must've felt like this book was important enough to preserve because it is really hard to find now. Like this copy was at a library somewhere. And someone just copied it uh, and uploaded it as a PDF, like photocopied every page. Wow. But it's not the only resource about this. What I think is even more interesting is San Diego State University has been running a website about Jonestown since like 1998, and they still update it fucking regularly with stories and research and analysis about Jonestown. And a lot of the San Diego State University website is about this. It's about the idea that the CIA was way, way, way more involved in Jonestown than they let Oh, wow, that's, that's bold. For, um, is that a private school, public school? I think it's a public school. They, I mean, they have a disclaimer on the site that the opinions don't necessarily reflect the school as a whole. But also it's very well researched stuff like the they they cite their sources as you would have to do in that situation. Like it's an official San Diego State University school website and the the last updates, it seems like they update it yearly now. But when they update it, it's dozens and dozens of papers and articles. And they was there was just an update October of 2020 comparing Trump. To Jim Jones. And it makes a lot of really good arguments that Trump and his followers are kind of a modern day version of Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Yeah. I mean, it's these a lot of cult leaders, very successful cult leaders have a lot of characteristics in common. So yeah. It, and, and then and a lot of them have studied each other. Like, tell me which one of them has not read Mein Kampf. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't remember the world where if you were running for president and people found out that at one point you slept with a copy of Hitler's other book, his book of speeches next to your bed for years, you would just automatically like you would not win the election. We found that out about Trump while he was running for office. And we also found it out in 1993. It just resurfaced when he was running for office. He was like, yeah, someone gave me a book of Hitler's speeches. I keep it next to the bed. Like, what? It's odd. It's very odd. If someone gave me a book of Hitler's speeches, I wouldn't just get rid of the book. I would get rid of the friend. Like, 
Well, he certainly would not sleep next to it. No. The friend or the book. <laughs> yeah. Creepy. So yeah, on the on the next episode, we're gonna start digging into the ties between the People's Temple and American intelligence in general. There's one family in particular, the Leighton family, where a lot of the top level Jonestown people are all tied to this one very rich family that has lots of ties to the Nazis. It's weird. It's very weird. Yeah. It's so, one way to sit, put it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, actually, if you want to read something weird, because I don't think there's enough to do an actual episode about this, I'll link to it on unpops.com. On that San Diego State University website, there is an article about all of the weird connections between the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and Jonestown. Hmm. Like at one point, one of the lawyers involved in Jonestown tried to get this witness. She was in the same boarding house that James Earl Ray was allegedly in when he shot Martin Luther King. And she saw the guy who pulled the trigger run past her. Like she saw him very clearly. There was an eyewitness. Right. But she refused to identify the person she saw as James Earl Ray. So they threw her in a mental institution. And that's why her refusal to agree that the man she saw was James Earl Ray, they put her in a fucking mental institution. And at one point, one of the Jonestown lawyers tries, he actually gets her out. And I, I guess under the idea that he was going to send her to Jonestown and there's all these weird connections. Like that's just one, but there's all these weird connections between the MLK assassination and Jonestown. Yeah. You have to wonder like, you know, if the CIA is privy to all of this and they allow it to go on, maybe there's some involvement there. Well, if you look into the death of Malcolm X, that is kind of the implication, not necessarily that U.S. intelligence killed him, but they knew it was coming and didn't do anything to protect him. Like events at the Audubon Ballroom where that happened, normally a huge police presence because it was a black club. And like in fucking L.A. now, if there's a bar that has the, the audacity to host rap shows, it's going to get shut down at some point. Like... The police presence, like the police just swarm places like that because the police are fucking racist. So, you know, there were tons of police at everything that happened at the Audubon Ballroom, except the day Malcolm X was shot, two cops stationed on the roof. There were no police at the door. There was no one patting people down. Meanwhile, there were 11 FBI agents in the room when Malcolm X was shot. That's a lot. That is a whole lot. And what a coincidence, not a one of them did anything to stop what happened. But Jonestown seems more than that. It seems like involvement, heavy involvement. I think, I mean, I think the drugs thing is the most interesting part. They had tens of thousands of tranquilizers, like massive amounts of drugs that you just like a normal person can't. How are you getting that through the airport? Like it's not going to fucking happen. You need some sort of help. There's the hookup. Like, uh, yes, there's more normal people would get arrested if caught with that many drugs. Uh, Definitely. (laughs) And where would you even get that many? uh, Where there's drugs, there's the CIA. Like Mm. the mass amounts of drugs, the CIA is there. Don't 
Don't you doubt it. So anyway, that's what we're going to get into in the next episode is all of the ties between Jonestown and the CIA and all of the possibly CIA affiliated people that were high level People's Temple members also, which is weird. Until then, do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Fizza, what do you got to plug? Yeah, just stay in touch. I'm at Fizza Dasani on all the platforms. It's F I. It's spelled F I Z A A D O S A N I. Please note that Fizza has one Z and two A's. Um, yeah, just stay in touch. I'll announce any upcoming projects um, on there. I do have a stand-up show the last month of every or the last Friday of every month. So um, that's at seven p.m. PST, ten p.m. EST. So it's a live stream online show. Nice. Patreon.com slash unpops or unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. You can get bonus episodes of this podcast. The next Unpops live Zoom comedy show is March 12th. Oh, shit. And I don't know who all is on that show. I know a Tiff Myers is on it and I'm on it and Kevin Anderson's on it. And uh, I mean, Jeff, obviously, but uh, we haven't booked any headliners or anything like that yet. We'll get to it. Don't don't worry about it. Uh, get her done. So tickets for that will be on sale soon. And I think that's it. Let's get the fuck out of here. Fizza, say goodbye. Bye, guys. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. 